Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Wednesday, October 12th, live from my apartment and his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. I am DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today on the show, we have legendary journalist Monroe Anderson and podcaster Mark Sims. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Call Out Wednesday, and here's why. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the MacArthur Genius Grants were announced today. And once again, sad to say, I was not uh, a recipient of one. Somehow or other, I've gone through all these years of my life, and I've never gotten a MacArthur Genius Grant. And I, I mean, maybe it's because I did so bad in the SATs and the ACTs back in high school. Maybe they're holding that against me. Can I just tell you, MacArthur people, I'm easily distracted. That's why I didn't do so well on those tests. And also, I have that problem where I reverse everything. I get dyslexia. So, man, that was a killer in the test. So maybe I should, maybe I should get a better, like, Actually, you don't apply for a MacArthur Genius Grant. They just like survey the country and look at your work and they decide among themselves who's a genius. And I often thought, ladies and gentlemen, this is the height of my delusion. Back in the 90s when I first heard, I think it was the 90s when I first heard about the grants. I was like, maybe one day some MacArthur Grant guy will read an article I wrote in the reader and go, this guy is a quiet genius. We're going to give him a grant. Nope, hasn't happened. Hasn't happened. I noted, uh, however, one thing that uh, I, I really noted was one of the winners, 800000 bucks is what they give you, ladies and gentlemen, $800,000 for being a genius. You would think being a genius was itself enough. You know, like being called a genius, hailed a genius, but no, they have to add a little sugar to the top of this uh, genius cereal they're doling out. They give you $800,000. I could use $800,000. Uh, anyway, uh, one of the uh, recipients with a Smith College professor named Loretta Ross. Uh, and uh, among other things, she champions uh, an end to what she calls call-out cultures. Let's just say, I read a story about it right before I went on the air. It, it stuck in my mind. I'm thinking this uh, as hate week. I'm going to talk about this with, with my guest, Monroe Anderson. Uh, Mark Sims will be joining us as well. Hate week. There's been just so much airing of hate. And I'm not even talking about MAGA. Uh, MAGA is always airing out hate. That's... They're intending to win uh, governor's races throughout the country with hate. But just within the Democratic Party, there's been hate. Like in Los Angeles, city council, city council president, Nuri Martinez, just venting hatred with a couple of her council members and with a union leader. There's all these calls for them to step down. She's taking a leave of absence. Hate coming there. Uh, Kanye West, just emanating hate from every poor, self-hate. Hate for black people, hate for Jews, just hate, 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 hate. I understand he is kind of a MAGA man, 
he is a MAGA man. But like, I'm going to get into this Monroe, the role that Kanye plays politically speaking in this country, uh, and how he's aiding uh, MAGA, aiding MAGA with his uh, emanation of hate. But Loretta Ross, uh, she counsels ending cancel culture, ending call-out culture. She's a lefty, uh, generally speaking. She's not a MAGA person by any means, uh, and just a feminist. So uh, she obviously, I guess, is she would vote Democratic in an election. But she says we should refrain from being compelled. Every time someone we hear somebody di- that we disagree with from calling them out, she, she calls it call-out culture, and maybe try to talk to them and listen to them. And I'm always trying to do that. And it's always harder to do with every passing year. I can think of a couple of friends right now that Monroe and I have in common, and I'm not going to name any names, who have moved to the far right. And I'm really, <laughs> I'm really trying not to call them out or quote-unquote cancel them, and try to understand and be compassionate. I, I will. Frank Okanade. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Monroe. Anyway, so Monroe Anderson joining me as he does every Wednesday. Monroe, I, I didn't see your name on the uh, MacArthur Genius list either. Once again, I think they overlooked you as well. Uh, they, 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 they did. Now, the way it works is they have people around the country who are spotters. And supposedly if they, they nominate you and then they, they go through some process that I'm unfamiliar with. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you were on the short list. <laughs> ben doesn't need $800,000. There are people out there that need it far worse than he does. I don't know, man. We could do a lot of podcasts with $800,000, that's for sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I didn't get it. Monroe didn't get it. Mark Sims was not a winner. Uh, DJ Nate, who produces the show, he wasn't on the list. Uh, Dr. D, who was a paternity lead, he didn't get it. Nobody affiliated with the Ben Jarowski show uh, was anywhere near the list. Once again, well, I don't know about you, but they sent me an email telling me that it was going to be announced today at noon. Oh, I didn't even get that. Yeah. I'm not even on the spotters email list. I, I just saw it in the news. I'm not a spotter. My, 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 my friend, Les Payne, who died a few years back, who, who wrote the Malcolm X book. Yes. He used to be one of the spotters. Because he he told me that he was trying to uh, get somebody on the list um, that he thought should be on there. They didn't get it yet, to my knowledge. They won't get it from him now. All right. Uh, so let's um, let's start by paying tribute to a, a friend of ours. Actually, yeah, Richard Hunt was who he's trying. Oh, to Richard find. Hunt. Yeah. Um, I thought didn't I think Richard Hunt got. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm like I take it back. I thought he got a MacArthur Grant, but uh, anyway, uh, a good friend of ours died, and we talked about it on the show uh, for a couple of days now. Uh, we got the news that we were together. Monroe, and his wife uh, Joyce, and I were happened to be together uh, when uh, I received a text, a call from a friend telling me that Sergio Mims had died. Uh, and folks who listen to my show uh, know that Sergio was on all the time talking uh, movies and politics, etc. Uh, and several times he was on with Monroe because Sergio was an old friend of Monroe. In fact, Monroe um, saw him uh, not long before he passed. Uh, and uh, it caught me off guard, Monroe. I won't lie to you. I, was, I didn't realize he was as sick as he was. Uh, so it really caught me off, off guard. Yeah, I, I noticed, yeah. And I, 
I was I was slightly uh, uh, surprised, but when I saw him the last time I saw him, he did not look good. Uh, of course, he had been in the hospital for four weeks, and so probably nobody looks good in the hospital. So maybe for a Carvassian or something, nobody looked good after four weeks in the hospital. Yeah, so uh, I met Sergio through uh, the radio station at University of Chicago. His show was right. I had a short-lived show there, and his show was right before mine. Uh, and I thought this was like a guy who could win a MacArthur Grant. It seemed like he knew something about everything, not except for sports. Didn't really know anything about sports, but classical music, uh, obviously movies. He had a lot of political views. Uh, some of them a little wacky. Uh, God bless you, uh, Sergio. Wasn't afraid to uh, come out and say it with his crazy predictions. Uh, but uh, attitudes, uh, opinions about race relations, Chicago neighborhoods, city politics, national politics, and so forth. Uh, it's just like uh, I used to call him a renaissance man because he knew something about everything, it seemed. And that was my initial take, my take through actually throughout my relationship uh, with Sergio and why I loved having him on the show. How did you meet him, Monroe, and, um, and how long ago was it? God, it was 30 years ago, maybe. 20, 25, 30 years ago. It had to be about 30 years ago. Uh, at a party in Streeterville, um, at, at this woman who who owned a gallery, an art gallery. I I can't I can't remember her her name now, but she had a named art gallery, and I was invited there. And uh, um, I also I, I I also met Harry um, Lennox. I can tell you, uh, yeah, the actor, uh, who's, who, yeah, Harry Lennox, the actor, who's who's from Chicago, and he was he was he was relatively unknown at that time. He was doing some Chicago theater, but that was it. He wasn't doing the blacklist or anything like that back then. We we had a long conversation, and. Um, my friend, a mutual friend of ours, Terry Glover, was close to Sergio, and she she loved Sergio. She said that he was such a an interesting black man, in that he was into uh, WWF, worldwide wrestling, uh, classical music, and uh, the National Enquirer. <laughs> so. so he, his interests were quite quite um, separate and distinct. The thing the thing that um, always amazed me was he loved Jim Brown, and he would talk joke about what a great actor Jim Brown was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he had he had odd he had odd taste, which I. I we were fight. We were actually. I, I make fun of him on some of it. If we fight, but but he Sergio holds literally holds the world's record for having holiday dinners at my house. Yeah, Sergio would come on, <laughs> and he, he he would call to check to see if I was inviting him for various, you know. Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, Fourth of July. 
Memorial Day. <laughs> yeah, no, I was at one, the 4th of July, uh, a 4th of July uh, dinner at your house with Sergio. I remember being at the, the fireworks. Did you? Yeah, yeah, but you met him at the radio station. I met him at the radio station. I didn't meet him at your house. In fact, I didn't know you guys were friends uh, till a little into it. When I think I, we were at a party, and um, and then you were, and then you and you were and Sergio were not only at the party, but you were trash talking each other. That's something you should know about uh, Sergio and Monroe. They get together, and the trash talking would start mostly Monroe trash talking Sergio. Sergio ignoring it. Uh, but uh, I would say uh, odd taste. I would amend that to eclectic tastes. <laughs> uh, so, for instance, like Jim Brown. To think Jim Brown, uh, for younger listeners, a great football player who left football in, at the top of his career to become a Hollywood actor. He was an action actor. He had a great charismatic presence. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But I would never call him a great actor. Uh, it was... He had limited range, I would say, in terms of what he would convey as an actor. Uh, but he was always Jim Brown, you know, and uh, that in itself was enough. Richard Pryor had this joke about Jim Brown. They were good friends. And Richard Pryor was talking about what a bad actor job uh, Jim Brown was. He said, he, 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 he said, Jim would say, yes, I will move the rock. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> because <laughs> he's pretty stiff oh my goodness so the notion that he's a good actor see that's the thing about Sergio he would sometimes I think he would say things outrageous just to provoke a reaction and see where it yeah. would go uh, right so one argument we had constantly and uh, it was just part of our uh, refrain was about the movie Get Out and I was like raving about Get Out I just thought it was just uh, a fantastic um, movie uh, and he goes, that was not that good. Uh, so we had that argument about Get Out all the time. Uh, he would tell me how uh, it's just a ripoff of Stepford Wives. And I would say, well, you know, yes, Jordan Peele admitted that he was, uh, Stepford Wives influenced him in a general way, but he just took it to it. You know, I would try to defend a position that I thought didn't need to be defended. And he would have that like, mischievous smile on his face. And, uh, I think he was just saying in Monroe to get the reaction he knew it would get. No, he you know, he was serious about that. He he didn't like uh, Key and Peele as a comedy team. He said they were just a couple of um, mixed race guys who didn't like black people, so they made fun of them all the time. That that was his perspective on it. And in the meantime, I was I was loving uh, their um, their Obama and 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 um, his. Obama's alternative persona. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought that was a really good, good uh, skit they, they would do. All right. Uh, so the, the night we got word that Sergio uh, had died, uh, we were at the um, a screening of Punch Nine. And uh, Monroe is featured in Punch Nine. And I urge everybody to see it. I had the director on. Joe Winston was a guest on the show uh, last week. And I urge everybody to check out that episode if you haven't heard it. Punch Nine, of course, is a documentary about uh, the late uh, Mayor Washington, uh, who was the mayor of Chicago for approximately four and a half years in the uh, mid 80s, uh, and, uh, or in the 80s. Uh, and Monroe, 
Man, that movie uh, brought back a lot of memories, uh, one of which is of you as a kid, uh, kid reporter. You you looked like you were 15, but you were probably 30 or whatever uh, when you moderated a debate. So there's a lot of Monroe in this movie as reflecting as a man in current times being interviewed, but also footage of Monroe from back in the day uh, when you were moderating that debate with Harry Golden, the former Chicago Sun-Times reporter. Uh, and um, I'd love to hear your just uh, some reflections uh, about uh, Harold Washington and the movie. Uh, I, I, I'll just start with this one general uh, observation, the significance of Harold Washington, uh, just in a sort of micro level. We've talked about this because of Harold Washington, I believe that debate moderators felt compelled that, oh, we have to have a black person up here. You know what I mean? Like the city is 50 percent black at the time voting population, maybe 40 percent. I forget. Uh, but uh oh, you know what I mean? Monroe was like one of those uh oh moments in Chicago. We better get a black guy up here. Uh, no, no, no. Actually, the way it happened with Harold and, and just and, well, OK, one thing at a time. The way it happened with Harold is that there was a, Derek Hill was a, a talk show host, morning talk, talk show host on WBMX. And BMX um, was a sponsor of that particular uh, debate. They, 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 um, they, they managed to work their way into that. My guess is because somebody Harold or somebody sort of pushed them that way because of, otherwise it was a typical um, suspect sponsoring the debates. And so Derek invited me to be one of the journalists on there. And now that you mentioned it, mention it, I am 99% sure that I'm probably the first black reporter ever to be invited on one of those panels. And and, and, and and subsequently later, I was the first black reporter from from a major white newspaper to work at City Hall to cover the mayor after Harold was elected. And this was the 80s. Yes, the 80s, ladies and gentlemen. We're not talking about the Jim Crow era in the South. Right, exactly, right, exactly, exactly. But but um, Harold Harold had a great deal of, of of impact on all of that. Um, you know, during 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 the election, for example, uh, Jane Byrne was giving blacks free turkeys to try and buy the vote, and Harold's advice to him was, "Take the turkey, <laughs> then vote for me." Uh. That is my general advice across the board. Uh, if if Republicans are giving anything, take whatever they're giving you. Okay. And I vote for whoever you want. Monroe, your question uh, was a really relevant one. And uh, so this is, uh, folks, one more time. This is 1983. Uh, and uh, the question in the movie that, uh, that uh, they show Monroe asking has to do with police brutality. Uh, in the black community, nineteen. Yeah, aren't you aren't, aren't you glad things have changed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
uh, and that, and then, and the filmmaker Joe Winston uh, makes a point of bringing that back at the end and talking about how the issues are still around today. You know, that. Money. But uh, talk a little bit about your the, the, the reason you asked the question uh, and uh, what you thought about Harold Washington's response. The reason I asked the question is because back then, and well, now too, nothing's changed. Chicago police had a reputation for abusing black men in particular. My first personal encounter with Chicago police was when I was a uh, 15, 14, 15-year-old teenager. I grew up in Gary. We came over to my family. We we came to Chicago uh, to the lakefront, Southside Lakefront. Uh, for a picnic or something. I don't know. I don't remember why. But anyway, as with several other black boys, and we were just running around on the lakefront, and we got stopped and frisked by the police just for being there. Parking while black, I guess you would call it. Park, park engaging while black. Uh, my second experience with Chicago police was during the Democratic National Convention, when as a, a an intern reporter, I have the um, dubious distinction of being one of the first journalists beaten by the Chicago police. I have, you know, and so we're in, there were still problems with the Chicago police. And so that's the question I chose to ask. I wanted to ask a question of import. Not just um, a, a not a not typical. No, no white reporter would have asked about at, at that time. Would have asked about police brutality. That would even be on their radar. And and Harold's answer was just great. You know, when I asked him about it, uh, he says um, he, he he pointed out that neither Burn nor Daly had answered my question. He was that he was the only one up there who would answer the question. And then he, 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 first thing he said was he's going to fire the police chief on day one. Yeah, chief, police chief Richard Brezak at the time, uh, the police chief of Chicago. Brezak must go uh, was uh, something I think Harold Washington said more uh, than once. Now, Monroe, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I, did you, when you, uh, in the pre-show prep before that debate, Okay, and so one more time, just to set the the scene, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's in the Democratic primary uh, for mayor. In those days, we had a primary system for electing mayor. There's a Democratic primary, Republican primary. The winners faced off in a general election. So the Democratic primary uh, was Harold Washington, Congressman Harold Washington, and incumbent Mayor Jane Byrne, uh, and then Cook County State's Attorney Richard M. Daley. All right, so they're in a three-way debate. And uh, so, Monroe, before were you asked to um, uh, tell the uh, the other moderators or the leaders of the debate what questions you were going to ask? Did you run that by each other before the debate? No, 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 no. no. We just were there, <laughs> and we asked the questions. That's wild. Uh, yeah, in and of itself, it's wild because you could have the same question. But I guess your point is well. No white guy is going to ask that question. So right, you yeah, got to no, figure Harry that out. Harry Golden was not going to ask that question. 
he was Mr. City Hall as far as um, reporters went. I mean, he had been there forever. His father had been a well-known journalist before him. And, and I mean, he was very, he was, he was established and worshipped. I was not. Uh, and so the setup of the question, uh, the, the question itself puts Byrne and Daly uh, in a precarious situation because they're running, they're working from the assumption that the black vote won't be significant uh, and that the race will be decided by who gets the most white votes. And they don't want to alienate white voters by taking a strong stance against police brutality. So they kind of just want to duck and dodge. It's a little bit the way Republicans answer questions on abortion these days. Yeah. If you watch yeah. that kind well, of Well, the other thing was they, 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 they did, the black community did not count to them as far as they were concerned. It was white people. Uh, because they, they predicted, predicted that the black, uh, black Chicagoans would not vote for a black mayor. Harold had run before. This was not his first time at the rodeo. And he lost significantly to Richard J. Daly. So they just figured, well, that's how it was going to go. Black, uh, black voters would vote for one of the two candidates. Yeah. I, I, think, our, I think our guest who's waiting to come on uh, is dropping dishes or something like that. I think. <laughs> I'm just, he's like, he's, he's like, I think he's cleaning out his basement while he's waiting to come on. Yeah, that's Mark, a plea for attention. <laughs> Mark Sims is, I think he's clearing. No, I, no, I, I forgot, I, I turned off the camera, but anything you can hear the. All right, we're going to bring the great, the legendary Mark Sims on to join us because we have a lot to talk about. Uh, the whole issue of colorism and Kanye West and uh, just the craziness that's going on in the world. Uh, yeah, Mark. Mark is another one of my mentees. Uh, just, just yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> please, <laughs> I'm the one that's genuflecting to be on the same <laughs> frame. I'm genuflecting though. Oh wait, I thought you were genuflecting to me. Um, <laughs> okay, well, no so, offense, uh, before uh, we we uh, bring Mark in with the conversation, Monroe, two things I got. I want to uh, get your response. I asked uh, Joe Winston about the, the way Eugene Sawyer is treated in the movie. Uh, and he, I, I think I may have told you this. Uh, he gave me a very nice response. Uh, the subtext of which is, you want to make your own movie? Make your own movie. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame him either. I do not blame him. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, and I thought about it. Bad people used to do that to his critics, too. <laughs> If somebody was critical of him, he would say, well, they're still selling film and cameras at the video store. <laughs> <laughs> the camera store. Go, you go get your camera and make your own movie. Make your own movie. So I, I, I respect that. Uh, but, you know, the way it's dealt with, and it's ancient history, but I think it's very important history. I think, think it's a very important chapter in Chicago politics uh, that only a handful of people may care about, but that doesn't mean it's not important. It has to do with the transition from LA. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that I didn't notice that until you told me about it. You know, I'd seen the movie before. Yeah. And I just didn't factor it in, uh, probably because um, Eugene Sawyer never got any respect. 
as mayor. So I, I, I was used to him not getting well, into this. Let me just set it up a little bit, then get your response. Uh, so when Harold died unexpectedly uh, in November of 87, the city council met to re- uh, select an interim replacement until a special election could be held. Uh, and it came down to a battle between two black men, two black aldermen, Tim Evans and Eugene Sawyer. Tim Evans was supported by most of the Harold Washington uh, aldermen in the city council. Uh, Gene Sawyer had the support of the anti-Washington uh, aldermen in the city council and a handful of uh, pro-Washington uh, aldermen. As a result, he was Victoria had more uh, votes than Tim Evans did, and it caused a big rift uh, in the black community that never healed uh, for the next two years and led ultimately to... The next 30 years, actually. Yeah, really, <laughs> yeah you're right. Uh, and Richard Daly, uh, Richard M. Daly, the state's attorney, uh, we that mentioned before, of course, took advantage of that division, was elected mayor in the special election of 89, and probably would still be being elected mayor by Chicago voters who just love that Daly name. Uh, they can't help themselves. They love the daily name a little bit like I love M&M's. Anyway, so uh, in the movie, the way it's set up is that uh, Gene Sawyer is used by uh, the white alderman uh, to put in a weak candidate uh, so that uh, Daly could beat him in, in the subsequent election. I think that's unfair to Eugene Sawyer. I don't think Eugene Sawyer is any weaker than Tim Evans or Tim Evans is any stronger than Eugene Sawyer. Uh, I think that's an interpretation that's revisionist history uh, that's uh, being used for many purposes, Monroe, one of which is to cover up the huge tactical error that so many strategists in the Tim Evans camp made by being caught up in that fight uh, at the moment and overwhelmed by their uh, feelings of grieving Harold Washington and just anger at the injustice of it all and the unfairness of it all. Uh, And so they just sort of made Eugene Sawyer a scapegoat, Uh, as opposed to stepping back and saying, we should be united. He has the votes. Let's make this official. You could have easily done it like official, like 50 to nothing. You know what I'm saying? And it would have sent out a whole different, if all the council had joined Monroe, just think about this as one to support Eugene Sawyer, as opposed to having that huge fight, that parliamentary debate that went all night, uh, and then ended up with a fractured council, a fractured black community, I should say, it might have made a big difference uh, going forward. So I I disagree with the emphasis that that movie played on that. uh, And what uh, Joe very politely said, Joe Winston, the director, said, well, you know, I had to make a movie. Uh, it's not a it's not a book. You can't put everything in there. So if you want to write a book about, it, go ahead. He, he sort of teased me a little bit. Anyway, so uh, Monroe, what's your thoughts? Um, do you, do you think uh, that message is just something I'm picking up on? Obviously, you didn't even catch it the first time around. So am I making just too much of it? I uh, no no. Uh, the the thing is. They, the white aldermen, really wanted to take City Hall back. Period. As as they as they had done after D- Richard J. Daly died, and they just locked uh, Wilson Frost, alderman, a black alderman, Wilson Frost, out. He didn't even he wasn't in the room where it happened. They would let him in. So uh, this time, 
the Washington people wanted to make sure there would be a repeat of that. Now, what they did was um, they held a rally. They decided that Evans was the guy. Bobby Rush would later tell me that the reason they liked Evans was because Evans had been an attorney like Harold was an attorney, and Evans was a, a good speaker. And so they just, they, they decided that he was the heir apparent. Harold Washington did not decide that Tim Evans was the, the heir apparent. As far as, Harold Washington was not joking when he said he was going to be mayor for 20 years. That was his intention. Uh, after Harold died, and uh, months after Harold died, I, I went to lunch with Michael Scott who was, had been affiliated with the daily, daily, first daily administration with the Washington. He was just a, a mover and shaker in Chicago. And he says to me that the problem was that Harold wasn't in office long enough. Um, black Chicagoans had no appreciation of power and what it was, what it was like. And so they 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 um, they they didn't handle it right. And and later um, Bobby Rush would say the same thing. They made a mistake, and and um, so a Conrad world. So there are those who came to realize afterwards that they they blew it. Yeah, and I thought there was also irony in that uh, many of the people who were called who. Uh, spoken in the movie, uh, praising Harold Washington, uh, actually had made a quick alliance with uh, Daly and did quite well with their careers through Daly. And so the, the notion that somehow or other they suffered uh, because Harold died was a little absurd, like David Axelrod being one, Luis Gutierrez being another, Valerie Jarrett being a third, uh, and you could argue put Barack Obama uh, on that list as well. So uh, Chicago's got a complicated history. Go ahead, Monroe. Yeah, o o Obama just came here because of Harold. He did. He didn't have much interplay with him at all, or maybe none. But um, but he definitely benefited from yeah. it. Yeah, and Michelle Obama, uh, his wife, uh, had worked for the Daily Administration. She had a job with the Daily Administration uh, for what, in the planning department. All right, before before we bring Mark on. Uh, and uh, talk uh, Kanye and talk uh, about colorism, et cetera, and so forth. Monroe, your thoughts? Uh, Donald Trump, this is usually Trump Wednesday uh, with Monroe and myself talking Trump. Uh, it looks as though he will be deposed in the E. Jean Carroll uh, libel lawsuit against him, defamation lawsuit. Uh, e. Jean Carroll, of course, the writer uh, who alleges that Donald Trump raped her. In the 90s, when she came forth with that allegation, Trump denied it. Uh, and he said that uh, his defense essentially was he wasn't even attracted to her. So sort of suggesting that had he been attracted to her, he might have raped her. But he wasn't <laughs> attracted to her. I only raped one, but I want to screw. Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange um, way of denying something. Uh, she filed right. a <laughs> lawsuit. And... Um, uh, Trump has been fighting ever since uh, in court with his uh, legions of lawyers, uh, 
we're just fighting well, one this, has been, this has been Trump's strategy uh, since he was, he's been an adult, is that he, he, he has lots of lawsuits because he, he's done lots of wrong things. And what he does is he delays it, he delays it, he delays it to either he gets to a point where they're bored with it and it's not, it's so old news that they don't want to deal with it. Or if it's, it's if it's a, say a carpenter or something like that, that did work on his building, uh, he keeps them in court long enough where they can't afford to stay in court anymore. Yeah. Bleeds so this, is what he, this is what he's been doing with the rape case. And the judge ruled that he had dragged it out long enough. It was time to act on it. Uh, what's what's happening with Trump, because he has so many suits going on, that the legal department, the departments are, it's obvious to everybody that what he's trying to do is delay things until it, it, it gets past the point where anything could be done. Uh, and the judges are wise to it, and now they're, they're saying, no, we're not going to play this game anymore. So that means trouble, big, big T for the big, for the big T. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he he may weasel out of this. I mean, it's so complicated and convoluted. You really have to follow it closely, like Monroe and I do. And, uh, and the deposition is going to hurt him. The deposition, yeah. So he's going to be deposition along, even if he if he beats the case, the deposition will will get leaked or, well, or so reported on. We'll, we'll, we'll know some more horrible things about Trump. And he's, he's at that tipping point where um, his thousand cuts are in and he's going to die from them one way or the other. So he could ultimately, in this particular case, uh, another court will, may rule that uh, he is exempt from being sued because he was a federal employee. Man, the, 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 the quirky things that Trump tries to take advantage of uh, is like unreal, man. And then MAGA thinks he's a victim, uh, so he may get out of it, uh, which is very curious because Trump is also has his own defamation lawsuit against CNN. So uh, you know he he's he says uh, when he says something outrageous, he says, "Oh, I should be proud to say it because of free speech." Someone accuses you know criticizes him. Oh my God, my feelings are. Uh, inconsistencies of MAGA. Uh, all right. Uh, without further ado, we're going to bring on the distinguished uh, podcaster, Mark Sims, and um, dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, Mark, I, I hope we haven't lost you. There you are. I hear you. I was cleaning up the basement when listening uh, to the yeah, show. I was cleaning out his <laughs> office. Uh, so I, I have, I, I uh, just, I must admit, a powerful interest in Kanye West. I've talked about him uh, with both of you on several occasions, and this goes back and, and as a political person. I'm not talking about him as a designer or a musician. I'm not interested in him in those two areas. I'm interested in him as a political figure uh, over the last four years, and I've watched his evolution, Mark and Monroe, from that first time when he put on the the MAGA hat and met with Trump to where he is now. And I, I like. Take seriously the things that come out of his mouth. All right. And maybe that may be my first mistake. Monroe has advised me more than once. Uh, but when he started, when he first met it with 
Trump in the White House back 2000, I think it was 18, he brought Jim Brown with him, the great football player that Monroe and I have been talking about earlier. And they were talking about uh, the law that Trump had signed that would give people a second chance who were in prison too long. Uh, and uh, Kanye West used that audience with Trump to uh, talk in, on behalf of Larry Hoover, who's in the federal lockup uh, for his gangster days here in Chicago. And now where we are, where he's just out and out MAGA, uh, railing against abortion, railing against the Jews who are picking on him, in quotes, uh, railing about that uh, black people uh, should be liberated from what they believe in, saying that slavery doesn't uh, is a choice. What else has he gone on to say? White lives matter, which is a provocation in and of itself because it's a way of mocking black lives matter. So it seems like he's lost all connection whatsoever to any kind of what? Ideology or position that may be generally aligned with like where the great majority of black uh, people are in this country, and it's just moved into Looney Tune country. Not quite sure why he's doing it. I I understand. I think it's very uh, helpful for MAGA that he is doing it, uh, and it's very disturbing on many levels because he's a billionaire with fifty million followers uh, on social media. Uh, Mark, what do you? What's your just general thoughts of where Kanye West is going these days? He's a billionaire. Well, I, I just looked it up. He's worth two billion dollars. <laughs> So he can go any way he wants. But I'm surprised he hasn't gone. Um, not to, I know it, when I see Kanye West, well, yeah, what's his yeah. name? Yeah, it's just yay. I ain't been hip since 1980. I wasn't that hip in 1980. So Mr. Yay is uh, he, he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but he's, he's, he's worth two billion dollars, man. So he can probably do anything he wants. But I thought he was I thought he was self-destruct by now. By, by now, I thought his marriage. His marriage lasted longer than I thought yeah. it did, would. And I thought he would have gone crazy, my cuckoo, really crazy, like institutional he, he, crazy. He is bipolar. But, you know. There have been reports, yeah. Oh, that's bipolar. what it is? Okay. But no, but no one's tapping on the shoulder and say, you know what, before, let's go over what you're about to talk about before you speak out in public. He don't have that no. kind of staff, right? No. When you're, when, when, when you're a billionaire, you don't have that kind of staff. That's, 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 that's that, that's one of the um, challenges of being a billionaire. Nobody likes to say no to you. Right. And I, so that means his next step is probably uh, talking to uh, Vladimir Putin. It's got to be the next step, right? If Elon could do it, why, why I, can't Kanye? I, I had never thought about that. But that's kind of is the next. You're right, Mark. That is the next step. You start talking to other like dictators and tyrants and stuff like that. Or you could go to North Korea. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like... And then he'll make himself a man of peace. Well, if if if, if they ever drop the nukes over and uh, uh, overseas, then he'll probably come from above and descend onto Ukraine as the new savior or something like that. And that's not too far fetched. Uh, trust all me. All right. So uh, his impact, Monroe, politically speaking, uh, do you think there is any at all? Go ahead. No, I mean, well, ten percent tops. You know, he he didn't, uh, no, he doesn't have any. What he's in danger of is losing a lot of his following. 
because already there are black people who are saying that they used to love Kanye and they, you know, they named um, school dropout and a, a number of his songs as they used to love, but they're not, they're, a lot of people are not loving on him right now. So I'm, I, I, I think, um, I, I think he's self-destructing. So you think uh, he have he won't uh, t- turn the ties in any way in terms of just like that sliver, you know what I'm saying? Of voters, do, do people maybe who may be tempted to follow him over to MAGA or just not vote at all? You think it'll just be uh, that he won't have an impact anywhere in the country? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think he. I, I don't think he's going to have much impact. I I I I I don't see it. I haven't I haven't seen uh, many rallying to his side, for his side, for example. You, you know, um, Jay Z and Beyonce love him personally, but they they haven't come over to his side. They're not defending him. I mean, he he hasn't had any defenders. Like at least I haven't seen it. There may be some that I don't know about, but nobody's defending him. They're not going, yeah, Kanye, yeah, yeah, yeah is right. <laughs> no, what he's doing that. No. Yeah, right. And he was, the closest thing he came to that, which is not even that, is that uh, he was asked to appear on a LeBron James show, uh, the, you know, the, the talk show he has in the barbershop. Uh, and so he came on, they recorded uh, a, a show. And then they just cut it because they said he was just uh, too crazy. He was just, yeah, he just, he like, I guess he said even crazier things and they, they, they haven't gotten specific. You know, the way the world is Monroe, that tape will be released some, somehow or other that tape will get released of whatever he said on the shop of the show. But uh, they just, they apologize for even having him on the, you know, the trying it. That's what Maverick Carter is uh, the producer of the show. Business associate of LeBron James said, I, "I I just thought we may give the man an outlet to explain himself and apologize." And he was even worse. So I was like, you know, we're not going to be contribute to this at all. So I have to give him credit for that, uh, personally. Right, but then, you know, this this is why I'm saying that he's hurting himself more than he's helping any Republican. All right, let's talk Herschel Walker. I this, Herschel Walker is another obsession I have, Mark Sims. Uh, how bad can a MAGA candidate be and still maintain MAGA support? That's he's like a test case of that. And I I think what he's proving is that there are no limits for MAGA. Your thoughts on Herschel Walker? Mark Sims? Oh wow. As long as he has the blessing of Donald Trump, he's he's the man. If Donald Trump turns on them, then it's over. And so, but if but the thing about I mean, I don't really keep up too much with with Georgia per se. I did read an article about Stacey Abrams and trying to get out the black male vote in Georgia, which is a whole nother show. But the Herschel Walker being a nominee is is disgusting. It's 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 almost repulsive. I mean, they it's like we, there's no standards like just win, baby, just win, right? Just win, baby. We don't care who's running. We just want to win. And that's really sad. No principles, just winning. Monroe? 
they, they, the Republicans want control of the Senate back. And so you could put up Boo Boo the Fool, and if Boo Boo the Fool could, could win, it'd be all right with them. And this is why they like Herschel, because he, he is Boo Boo the Fool. Yeah. He's a black Boo Boo. <laughs> and if he, if he is elected, he will do whatever Trump tells him to do, or by proxy, McConnell. But he will be in their corner. And they know that. So it, it would be, they would prefer some white person, but he's a good replacement as far as they're concerned. So, Monroe, would you have the same attitude uh, about a Democrat uh, in this political climate? I can't imagine a Democrat's nominating one so flawed as Herschel Walker. Right. Just, no. No. No, they would not. No, that's, that's a. Herschel is a special type of Negro, and that's what they want, is, <laughs> is, is that type. Uh, you know, they don't, they, no, we're not, black people are not looking for somebody that's um, incompetent and will bear, and, and, and will be a disgrace to the race. And white people, since forever, have always tried to choose our leaders for us. Somebody who will look out for their interests. If you go back to slavery that happened, uh, if you go if you, you go back to the civil rights movement, um, the powers that be liked Roy Wilkins more than they did Dr. King because they figured Roy was yeah. more manageable. And that's what they're looking for, somebody who knows their place and will stay there. Mark, you've written about this. No, no, it's it, no. That's when I when I t- when I talk to people, and people probably think I sound as crazy as Kanye West. But I had I ha- some of the dynamics from slavery, the days of slavery, and I'm not a historian. They never left. They never left us. I mean, the colorism, the good Negro sy- syndrome, the buck dancing. It's. I mean, of course, it's not as bad when I was a kid. Probably not as bad when Monroe was a kid. You were a kid, but remnants are still there. If you're a good Negro, and I don't, it's, 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 it's sort of changed than it was 40, 50, maybe 100 years ago, of course. If you're a good Negro, you're going to be just fine in this country. But if you get out of line, boy, you get out of line, we know what you're going to do. We're going to do with you because we all need jobs. So we all tap dance on the job, and I, I, depending on what type of job you have, to keep your job, keep your mouth shut. Otherwise, you'll be another void in your town, in your society. So and then you go to the extreme. Now, Harold, 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 that's a pretty slip. Herschel Walker is man. It's like you might as well have step and fetch it running for Senate of Georgia. It's 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 really it's it's really disgusting. But and and and, and for people, hopefully a few Republicans. Just that I mean it's always these these elections running. They go in the margins, the margins, right? Hopefully enough Republicans, some good Georgians, say you know what, we can do better than this. We, we could have we, forget about the issues per se. We got to have somebody in there that is somewhat <laughs> not saying, but you know, articulate, know the, know the issues, even you know, that kind of stuff. That's why if you see a Ron DeSantis, Ron, I'm jumping a far field now. That's why I think Ron DeSantis or my pick is if he runs for president is the uh, guy from Georgia from Harvard. What's his name? Tom Cotton. Watch out for Tom Cotton. Uh, see a Tom. See Republicans gonna get tired of this Trump stuff at some point. Maybe he won't be able to run for office. 
And then you get a Ron DeSantis. But my pick, if he runs, is Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton out of Arkansas? From Arkansas, yeah. But he's like a Harvard lawyer or something. A Harvard got a Harvard law degree or something. So he's not, he's real, you know, he's real smart. So you want actually want a smart, articulate person to be governor. I mean, to be a, a senator of Georgia. They have one now, now, and but they want to go to the the Looney Tunes because um, this is why we have a, a Roe v. Wade uh, is gone now because the Republicans are focused. They want to roll out for what fifty years, and it took fifty years or so, and they got what they want. And if they and if they have uh they have a real way, we'll be back on the plantation, or they'll be calling us Negro again or something. It's it's really it's on well, some perspectives it, really it is scary. scary in many uh, perspectives, and it's just something that came out of the Harold Washington movie, which I uh, can't urge people to see enough. So, in the, in the part of the movie where they shift from Harold winning the Democratic primary, which is a triumphant moment uh, for Harold Washington uh, in the black community in Chicago, then they switch to the one-on-one race uh, against uh, Bernie Epton, the Republican, a white man. Uh, and how there was just this eruption of anger uh, and hostility from uh, white voters in Chicago to Harold Washington. And as I pointed out last week, when you listen to those voters express their opposition to Harold uh, and just cheer on Bernie Epton, you close your eyes. And just so you're thinking, and today, the rhetoric could be coming out of today's MAGA party. It could be coming out of the Darren Bailey gubernatorial campaign. It's all about being afraid uh, that you, uh, you won't be, the streets won't be safe, et cetera, and so forth. A difference I saw is that when Harold Washington did that, there were no, as far as I can remember, black people siding with Epton. Nowadays, you've got quite a few high-profile black people championing MAGA and saying, yes, everything they say about black people is true. You know, in fact, Richard Irvin Monroe, remember his campaign with the, the he said, I, the greatest thing that scares the Democrats is someone who looks like me and thinks like us. Remember that? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I suspect that's not Richard's words or some words some white man put in his mouth. But that's just me. He said them. Uh, you're right. Somebody else could have written them, uh, but he said them. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. No, but but well, the thing is, uh, there has been blacks who looked out for whites more than they did for blacks since slavery. And they are mistakenly called Uncle Tom's. But Uncle Tom really was looking out for uh, the 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 little girl, and I'm forgetting her name now. But he was looking out for for a black person to the extent he had the power to do. Uh, so it's uh, I, I I I I'm much more in in favor as a role model of um, Stephen from. Uh, Django. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. From Django, right? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, it was Monroe Anderson and Ben Jarofsky. What do you think about, you're going to vote for uh, Darren Bailey because of that Charles Thomas commercial, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. yeah right, right. Exactly. Oh, Charles is an old friend. And so, um, 
I've had a uh, conversation or two with him on the phone. He wants to come on the show uh, and uh, uh, defend his position and support of Darren uh, Bailey. I'm reluctant. I thought about it to bring him on the show because I like Charles. And um, I just think that uh, he's in a bad position right now. And a lot of people are turning on him and saying things about him. And, uh, but I, Monroe, I've, I'm torn in this because I genuinely like Charles from when I knew him. He's, he was a guest of mine uh, at, the, at the hideout when he was a reporter for ABC years and years. And yeah. he's, he's gone over to this. Go ahead. Well, you, yeah, well, Mark is doing the show with, with um, yeah. Charles. Now they have a radio Mark show. Mark Wallace, yeah, yeah. Mark Wallace, who's yeah. been on your show. And so they have a show together. And Mark questioned him on their latest show about all, all of this. And he's, Mark told me this. I didn't hear the show. But Mark told me that Charles's position was that, well, um, we, we black people need somebody on the other side also. So that we got all, instead of putting all our eggs in one basket, basically, okay. is what he's saying. So it's like, yes, as a concept, as a principle, I understand that. But if your position on the quote unquote other side is not going to deter the quote unquote other side from doing things that are really hostile to black people, what's the point? Uh, right, right. I mean, right, right now, Darren Bailey's outreach to Black Chicago, if you can call it an outreach, is I will support an end to the Safety Act, which means the mass arrests and incarceration of Black people, guilty or not, and cash bail will be returned. So you, if you can't afford to get out, you're stuck in jail. That is the appeal. Mark Sims and I have had many conversations about crime in Chicago. And he loves to point out, which is true, that I can go walking in my neighborhood. <laughs> he, uh, he's always teasing me about that. Uh, probably I'm crazy to do it anywhere, Mark, but uh, whatever. I walk in my neighborhood and I haven't been mugged yet. Uh, but I do not understand. The key word was yeah, yet. Yeah, I know, the key word. So, hey, hey, when we off the phone, I'll tell you how I got shot, uh, how I almost got shot on us. I'm 95th and uh, Jeffrey. I'll tell you that story right, off, right the off the air. But anyway. Uh, I don't mess up the flow. I'm saying because, you, because you walk around here, you could get shot. You could get shot absolutely anywhere. Okay. Well, if you're Darren Bailey, you say, where's the hellhole at in Chicago? The north side where Ben is or the south side where Mark is? Where's, where's, where's the hellhole at? And, Far and, south side. That's so, right. But well, usually when I respond to Mark when he blames crime for not going out for a walk. I just think he's using that as an excuse. He's too lazy to go out for a walk. Exactly. Uh, right. He, <laughs> no, he, got, he got an expensive treadmill down there in the basement. But it was serious. And it's serious. Like I was in Gary a few weeks ago. Uh, Monroe, you're familiar with Gary. Gary's not the Gary it was when you were there. But uh, it was during the day. But I ain't going to walk through Gary at night. <laughs> Would you? No. All right. No. So, Mark, do you think uh, that appeal 
uh, that Darren Bailey is putting out, you know, where he puts a commercial of a guy getting uh, mugged on the, uh, the subway or a woman getting accosted in the streets. Do you think that will appeal to black voters, Mark Sims? Yes, yeah, some, some. It's, 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 it's always going to be a few. Because uh, well, I think we're the only group. I think the Latinos are, uh, what, okay, use the term Latino. The Latinos are not as, uh, like we vote like, what, 80, 90% for the Democratic Party. We're pretty much the only group, large group that does that. Everybody else is kind of diversified, if you will. Yeah, that's, that's, we we that's, just lock, yeah. lockstep with the Democratic Party right. for good reason. Right, right. I, I just don't see. Uh, I, I just don't see. But being the whole key for those commercials, I see the commercial with the. It's a couple of black women. Don't get me started about them commercials. A couple of commercials with black women saying that Prisca got to go and Prisca ain't this and Prisca ain't that. Though it's about the margins. It's about picking off just enough black because votes enough, here and there. Not enough margins. For Bailey. Well, 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 the other one, is, you know better, better than I do, Monroe Anderson, is that it's, it's also those commercials are geared to make people not vote. I have my my ballot upstairs. I'm on the basement now. My ballot is upstairs because I vote from by mail. And I got to go. I'm going to do it this weekend, probably. I Maybe I'll wait. But the point is that is to make people, a lot of people, not vote. Yeah. Don't vote. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's a tactic. Yeah, that's a tactic. Whereas to, to discourage people. To, uh, particularly black men to say, look, nobody's taking care of you. Why bother? Yeah, there was a, no, it's a great article. I, I should have talked to Ben before we uh, we talk about it later, Ben or and Monroe. You can just go find it. I think it's from Bloomberg, but it was on Yahoo News on Bloomberg. It's a Bloomberg piece about how Stacey Abrams in Georgia feel like if she can get the black men to come out and vote in Georgia, she can win. But a lot of them like, oh, hey, what I'm going to get out of it? Because a lot of men, are, just men in general, are disconnected with their communities, with politics, with everything. It's other than being at the barbershop on the street corner, they're disconnected. So they feel like if I don't get an instant tangible benefit from voting, why should I vote for you or anybody else? Well, no, there has been, because I've seen people interviewed and discussing this. Tracy Abrams has not approached black men. She hasn't targeted them for their vote. You know, it's a, it's more of a woman, black woman, um, aimed um, constituency she's been doing. And so, you know, it's, it, it, they don't feel like they're a part of it. Well, again, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier about uh, the quote-unquote evolution of the political thought of Kanye West. When he first burst on the scene as a MAGA man, he met with Trump to champion the need to do uh, less incarceration of black people. That was, and in particular, he was speaking out on behalf of Larry Hoover, but he was still talking about a law that would lead to uh, fewer people being held in prison. Now the Republican Party in Illinois with uh, Darren Bailey and Dan Proft is airing commercials are essentially to scare people into voting Republican where the fear of a law that's intended to do to incarcerate fewer black people. I'll take black people out of the sentence. Fewer people. But we all know who the, the great number of people being arrested in Chicago, Monroe and Mark, and not being uh, released from prison because they are jail because they can't pay bail. Do we all know what Republicans are openly talking about using incarceration as the chief tool to fight crime? Just lock people up, whether they're guilty or not. 
That's how we're going to fight crime. And you'll feel safer if we just lock people up. And I'm like, you think that's going to work to bring out black vote? That would be my question to Charles or to any supporter of Darren Bailey, really. And, and that's, I do not believe that. It's not, it's not an accident that gangster rap came out after the, uh, the crackdown, the the um, crackdown on crime and drugs in the nineties. That was the mother of gangster rap because you send all these young black men to prison, uh, and so the much of the culture got prisonized. That's when they started walking around with their pants hanging off their butt because they didn't have a they they give you couldn't have a a, a belt in jail. Because they were afraid you might, in prison, you might hang yourself. Uh, and they they were walking around with the shoes unlaced because you couldn't have shoelaces. So, uh, and you got gangster rap out of that. So they, the, the laws back then uh, developed a pr- pr- prison culture that worked its way through popular music and glorified the whole gangster thing. All right, we've run out of time. We better uh, end this show before I go down another rabbit hole. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about what went down in Los Angeles. Uh, I'll do that. Uh, as you can, like I said, you can do a whole show. You can bring me back for the colorism. I can tell you about I mean, <laughs> don't get me started by I mean, that was... Ultimately, what I was going to bring you on to talk about, but I, well, while we get a little time, we'll uh, just address it. Uh, Adolfo Mondragon was on the show yesterday, and we took a bit of a deep dive in this. We're talking about Nuri Martinez, who is the uh, president uh, of the uh, Los Angeles City Council. She was anyway. She stepped down uh, after a tape was released. I happened to be in California when the tape was released. It's just, Mark, as I was saying to Adolfo yesterday, it's just like that conversation that Martinez had with uh, three of her allies, all of whom were Hispanic, was so similar and reminiscent of things I've heard Chicagoans talk about. You know, the way Chicagoans talk about each other, where they reduce everybody to whatever ethnic group they're from. And you talk about the Blacks, the Hispanics, the Jews, the Italians. Mayor Lori Leifert, remember that in her quote? The Italians. It's like, we're not individuals. It's we are a part of a larger group, and that's who we are. And then you just make disparaging comments about a stereotype uh, view of that group. That is so Chicago, in my mind, because I never really heard it anywhere until I came to Chicago. And I just heard it so much in Chicago. And now it turns out, Mark Sims, that it's not really just Chicago. It's widespread. It's America. And, uh, and then you've always pointed out to me that within the group's there are subsets of opinions, and a lot of it in terms of what you talk a lot about is colorism. So just explain what you mean by colorism as a force, particularly in the black community. Well, well, before I, after I make my comments, I got to listen to Monroe, because Monroe remembers when I was born when we were Negroes, but he remembers actually hearing the word Negro in his ear, when we were called Negroes back in the day. But the colorism is very simple. It's about white supremacy. and to, But you have to have a history lesson. The history lesson of European Americans, if you will, you know, you can start with Columbus, 
1492 if you want to go there and then you work your way back and you and you and you can have a little history of the africans and uh, and of course you talk about mexico like if you ask always tell always go to the root you say mexico what did the term mexico or mexicans come from because they because they were spaniards at first and they were matched they there was indigenous and the spaniards of course the black folks they were black slaves and of course, there was a lot of rapes during, during slavery. So you had all these mulattoes, eventually, you know, quadrooms or octoroon, and the one drop rule that the Germans couldn't even deal with. They didn't want to deal with, with one drop rule like they do here. So it's a complex thing, but it's all about white supremacy. You got to understand the Europeans been able to rule the world, conquer the world, go around the world, and mix their blood with a lot of different people from, through rape. And you have a lot of different colors. And that's not the only reason why I have a lot of different colors. But even in Chicago, I've had um, a duffel on my show because of you. Because I don't know a lot of Mexican people. I don't have that type of, because uh, uh, I was raised in segregated Chicago. And I've been here on the South Side all my life. I had Ramon Hussein that, of course, made me start saying South Asian. I always say like East Indian. So I started saying South Asian. And the point is that when you get to know different people and you get to know their history and then the colorism can start to go away when you understand, for some people, they're never going to get it. But you understand, like when I was a kid, and I, this is my last point, uh, if I get my, uh, my can back me up on this one. When I was a kid, I was just a high yellow Negro. But now people see me and they say, what are you? Because there's so many people of color, quote unquote, in Chicago, in the whole United States. And so it's, 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 it's something that we always have to constantly teach ourselves and of course, teach the younger generations and remind ourselves why we have all these different colors. Yeah, and Monroe, uh, you've heard that term "high yellow negro" uh, more than once. Uh, uh, so, is it something like? Is it politically incorrect to say that, or is that just conversation that's just going to happen? It it depends on who's saying it and where it's being said, and uh, yeah. Because there, there are some darker-skinned Blacks who are contemptuous of light-skinned Blacks because uh, they see them as um, better positioned to do well in the country because, you know, it goes back to that, uh, if, if you're white, you're all right. If you're brown, you could stick around. But if you're Black, Get back. There, 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 there are color differentials in America as there was in South Africa, for example. The there was the the, the Africans, period, the black Africans. Then there were the coloreds, and then there were the whites. I mean, so there are gradations, and there's biases in in those various groups. And the same with Hispanics. And um, and and actually, when I was working for City Hall, when I was press secretary, I learned that Mexicans and Puerto Ricans don't particularly get along. The the Puerto Ricans were calling the Mexican uh, pie faces because their facial structure is is, is rather than, than that of Puerto Ricans. It's, so I mean, you just you get that stuff, and I forget what the the, the Mexicans were calling the Puerto, Puerto Ricans, but but it was just as insulting. Yeah, no, it's um, there's a lot of hate out there, and there's a lot of self hate out there, uh, and uh, it's a very powerful force in this country. 
a very scary force. And, um, and I could tell you, we could do a whole show on uh, self-hatred among Jews, something I know quite a bit about <laughs> from having been uh, Jewish my entire life in this country. Uh, Ben, you you don't say you're a self-hating Jew, are you? I don't think I am. Uh, Of course you're not, Ben. I'm just joking. I do know uh, with Jewish people, myself, I'm speaking for myself here, Mark, whenever a Jewish guy gets in trouble, there's that feeling like, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to blame all of us. Here it comes. You know what I mean? So, like... uh, yeah, if that happens with blacks, yeah. you, it, it used to be a lot greater than it is now. The difference is that at, at one point, since you didn't see many successful blacks, then it, it fed into the lazy, trifling, uh, nigger uh, category, stereotype. But now that you have a former president who was black and you have Oprah and Michael Jackson and uh Etc. You know, successful role models. Then it's it's not as prevalent, but it still exists very much. Yeah. Well, it it, uh, it there, there's always that fear. Uh, I mean, made off like I hear. Oh, now now we're gonna. Yeah, right. yeah right. that's it. That's it. Ben didn't Romana Hussein. She feels that way in her South Asian community. Too. Yeah, we talked about that a lot with Romana, uh, and she talks a lot about how, well, particularly Muslims, are blamed. It's like held as a community to be and held accountable for anything one Muslim does bad. Uh, and if you're a minority, if you've been a victim of stereotyping, it's just a, an obvious reaction. You're going to have it. And so, like, for instance, when uh, Kanye went after uh, Jewish people on his diatribe, I'm like, uh oh, here we go. And the comments, and I have to, I got to admit, Mark, the comments have been kind of muted. Uh, it's, I think, I think, uh, that I was kind of relieved. No, because it's Kanye. Right. That's why right. I muted. It's Kanye. Right. Come on. See, I'm old <laughs> enough to remember Steve Coakley. Monroe and I have talked about this a lot. Uh, Steve Coakley was an aide to, uh, Eugene Sawyer. Uh, and he made some insane comments about Jewish doctors at the county. And I'm like, this is in the eighties. I'm like, here we go. And, uh, you know, you just have to navigate this stuff. You get, but, but, yeah, but I, I remember Steve Coakley, probably some of his lectures still on the internet somewhere. And so I remember, because I, because being raised in an all black, you know, segregated part of Chicago, my whole thing was, was black people, right? I didn't really interact with white folks until I, you know, beyond, left high school or something, right? So when I, Steve Coakley, well, I remember Steve Coakley, he talked about the boule, the Sigma Pi Phi, the, the bourgeois Negro. So I used to love that kind of stuff because I was more, uh, I was middle class, but you know, if I had a better education, I would have been a fraternity brother, boule. I'd have been all of that. <laughs> the stuff I criticized, I would have been all of that if I had a better education. Yeah, no, I understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. We're all, all of us are to a degree, a little inconsistent. Let's just put it that way. All right, we've run out of time. Mark Sims, thank you very much. Monroe Anderson, thank you very much. Every Wednesday, Monroe Anderson on the Ben Jarowski Show, love the man to death. Uh, and I uh, also want to thank uh, DJ Nate doing a great job uh, sitting in for the doctor uh, who is on paternity leave. And I think uh, Mark and Monroe agree with me when I say, DJ Nate, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.